Good morning, my friends, and happy Cinco de Mayo. Yeah, uh, look how festive our background is today. Looking forward to celebrating this afternoon, or actually this evening, I'm teaching tonight. Anyway, um, I am so excited to be kicking off our new season of Coding with Christine Hall. Thank you so much for hanging out with me on Thursday mornings. Um, before we go into our season this, this year, this season, yeah, anyway, um, which is going to be revolving around different specialties. So we're going to be bringing in coders of different specialties to come in and to basically have a chat with us about what they love about that specialty, how they got into that specialty, what are some of the challenges of that specialty? And they're going to give us some good advice in how to get into that specialty coding. So um, next week, I will have the wonderful Jennifer McNamara with me, and she's going to discuss orthopedics. Now, those of you that know Jennifer, you know she has such a passion for orthopedics. So I can't wait to hear what she has to share with us about that. Um, so before we go into that part of our season, though, I did want to have a little chat about the guidelines. I know, I know, you're, Christine has exhausted the guidelines for everyone. However, you know, um, I think it's so very important. I teach for AAPC and I teach at some of my local colleges here and, and I've taught at the university. And the one thing that I can honestly tell you is that um, I think that people don't really get that the guidelines are the key to ICD-10 coding. Now, um, you know, the guidelines, they're there to help us select our diagnosis codes to those highest levels of specificity. And we've heard that for years and years and years. But truthfully, you know, uh, and, and I know you right there, you're sitting there and you're saying, Christine, um, I was having a hard time sequencing, or I got a denial in the mail for uh, a covered, this is not a covered service as reported, or how about the best one, doesn't support medical necessity. Usually that's going to revolve around the diagnosis that was reported. Now, um, there are a lot of instructions in those guidelines for reporting codes. And as a matter of fact, over the last couple of years, we have had so many codes that have been added outside of our normal fiscal year, October 1st to September 30th. Um, do you know how many COVID codes we have? All of those kind of evolved over the last couple of years, and they've continued to roll those out as they've become uh, necessary. So I know that in April last month, they rolled out three new codes for COVID-19. So they rolled out Z28.310, and that's for unvaccinated for COVID-19. Z28.311, partially vaccinated for COVID-19. And Z28.39, and that one is our other unimmunized status, under-immunized status. Let me rephrase that. Other under-immunized status, right? So... Yeah, those three codes became effective just last month. Now, let me give you a little bit of a history lesson. Those of you that know me, you know I, I love history. So 
I'm always interested in how we got to where we are today. And um, ICD-10 was actually approved by the World Health Organization back in 1990. Remember what you were doing in 90? In 90, I'm going to be honest with you, my hair was so big, like, yeah, big. Let's not talk about that. Anyway, um, because we have a very unique payer system here in the United States and, and because we have um, the government that we do, nothing gets implemented without going through a vetting system. And, and also we had to develop a clinical modification for the way that we do billing, the way that we get reimbursed here in the United States. So we were the last country to adopt ICD-10. I mean, think about it. I remember back in 2013, 14, 15, you know, we had to make sure that the upgrades were there for our EMRs. We had to make sure that we had the bandwidth that would accommodate all of these new codes that were added. We went from 17,000 plus to 70,000 plus. So of course we were going to need more technology, right? So that was one of the reasons that it, that added to one of the reasons why it took us so long to to get there is because we had to make a lot of changes in in our softwares, the way that we processed education, things of that nature. So it did take us a while. Um, so the guidelines themselves, they are actually approved by four different organizations. It's called the cooperating parties. So they are the ones that um, review ICD-10. They work with the CDC. It's a really interesting process if you ever have some time to take a look at it. So the American Hospital Association, the AHA, the American Information uh, Health Information Management Association, AHIMA, A-H-I-M-A, um, CMS, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, and the National Center for Health Statistics, the NCHS. So those organizations, they work together to put out not only the new codes as they're needed, but the guidance for those codes. Yeah. So the guidelines, they're divided into four sections. And believe it or not, the guidelines get updated every year as well. So as we have new codes that roll in, we have new guidance for those codes that roll in. And, and again, I can't overstress the fact that we had COVID and COVID provided us with an entire new subsection, a subcategory, a subchapter. I don't know how to, you know, how you want to look at it um, in our guidelines there of how to use that. So the four sections, um, section one, that includes the structure, the conventions, the classification, the general guidelines. They apply to the entire book pretty much how we use the book, how we manage through the book um, and, and what are the rules for each one of the, the chapters and the codes and things of that nature. Um, section two, those are the guidelines for selecting the principal diagnosis on admission or for admission for an inpatient hospital stay and it's buddy section three. And those are the guidelines for additional diagnosis for non-outpatient, facility-based type of, of uh, coding, diagnosis coding. And then the last section, section four, those are codes for outpatient coding and reporting. So any of those um, uh, ambulatory surgical centers or outpatient clinics, hospital outpatient clinics and things of that nature there. You know, I got to be honest with you, though. 
in my opinion, just again, humbly, I'll say, in my opinion, I believe that section one is the most powerful section. It's the biggest punch for professional coders, those professional service coders. So if you're working for the doctor, if you're working for the ambulance, for the, um, let's see, the, the any of your professional services there, I, I don't know off the top of my head, it's too early in the morning and I'm only halfway through my coffee, so. Anyway, um, in section one, you've got three subsections. The first subsection are the conventions. I don't know why they're called conventions. Um, I think that's probably the, the formal English term for uh, the punctuation, the terms that are used, the instructions um, for the alphabetic index and how to look up codes there and for the tabular list and how to look up uh, in the tabular list and identify the most specific codes using the, the tools that are embedded in ICD-10. So those symbols or um, the, you know, again, the, that, that uh, punctuation, that, um, you know, description of terms that are used, code first, use additional with, and, right? So they give us a lot of, of definition that's a good way to, to talk about that first section there. Really interesting. If you haven't read it in a while, it's, it's very quick to go through the um, subsection A. Subsection B, that's cool stuff, friends. That's really cool stuff. Now, subsection B, those are the rules that apply to every single code in the book. So as you're reading through subsection B, they're talking to you about navigating um, the rules for for the entire coding system there. Imagine for one second that they took everything that is in that subsection B and they moved it over under every single code in the tabular section of ICD-10. We would need a forklift to carry around our ICD-10 books. And quite frankly, we would probably need its own computer if we were using an encoder or an ebook, we would need its own computer just to run the ICD-10 book at that point. So it's nice that we have that general coding guidelines section. It is also where coders get empowered. That's where we will find uh, a lot of the rules of what we can as coders do and what we can't. And that section has evolved so much over the past few years. So I highly recommend if you haven't read the guidelines lately, take a look in there and see what little uh, nuggets of wisdom you can find in that subsection B. The next section, the subsection C, those are chapter specific meaning that this is where it gets really interesting, folks. So in subsection C, they talk about the rules for specific coding assignments. So this is where you're going to find information on sequencing, what goes first. Uh, sometimes what we might think is logical, there's a specific guideline that advise us to sequence those codes a little bit differently, right? Um, Maybe they're telling us that we need to also code the manifestation or code first the complication 
or maybe we need to use those external causes to explain how something happened, right? Um, just to name a few of my favorites. My, my other favorite, of course, I think a lot of you know, are the seventh characters. The seventh characters that only live in that seventh spot um, in a code. So it can't be a, a fourth, a fifth, a sixth or spot. It can only live in the seventh spot. And we talk about those active conditions, those healing conditions, and those sequela conditions. Notice how I did that. Instead of saying initial, I said active. Yeah, I picked that up from my ICD-10 guidelines in subsection C. Uh, also, we also find out there uh, things like um, your second component of the seventh character, that healing process. Some of you know it as subsequent. I like to call it healing as well. Same thing, found that in my subsection chapter um, C, as in Charlie. Whew, it's too early in the morning to be talking chapter, subsection, section, subsection, right? Anyway, um, so the chapter-specific coding guidelines. And I'll be honest with you, you know, teaching as much as I do, I get a lot of questions from students that ask me specific questions and more so than not, my answer is going to take them to section one, uh, subsection C, and the specific chapter that it belongs to. We also have some very specific coder allowances in subsection C, in chapters, subsection C in the chapters. I'm going to get this confused. I don't know why. I just am. Um, so the other thing that we see there are those um, those coder specific things. So for example, hypertension, right? Now hypertension in the subsection C in chapter, I think it's chapter five. I could be wrong, I might be right. But it tells us there that when a patient has hypertension and they have heart failure or they have hypertension and chronic kidney disease that us as coders, we can assume that there's a relationship with them, even if the provider doesn't document that there's a relationship between them. Of course, if he does document or she does document that there is not a relationship between the two, we can't assume that there is, right? There's some specific knowledge there, but that instruction is right there. Um, let's talk about COVID a little bit. So what do we do when uh, a patient, they've had COVID, right? and they are no longer COVID positive, but they still didn't get their sense of taste back. First of all, that's just awful, okay? I just can't even imagine not being able to taste the tacos and the margaritas tonight that I have for dinner. That just, that would be so sad for me. Um, but how do we code that? How do we code that specific situation? Mm, yeah, what about, okay, let's make it even more complicated. What about if you had COVID? And then you were, you did not have COVID, you, you know, you, you, you were, you healed from COVID, but you didn't get your taste back, but then you were reinfected with COVID and now you have respiratory complications. How do we code that? Well, the answer is in section one, subsection C as in Charlie, number one, G, coronaviruses. So if you scroll down there, you're going to see exactly how to code that scenario. So Again, I think sometimes we as coders, because we the guidelines, they read like 
furniture instructions. Anybody ever buy a piece of furniture from like Walmart or Ikea and it comes in that cute little box that you're putting together an entertainment center and then the instructions, they're in five different languages um, and oh, English isn't one of them, right? You know what I'm talking about. That's kind of like what it's like reading the guidelines sometimes. It's kind of painful, but I have a solution and I recommend this to all my students and they'll tell you it does work. The first time that you sit down and read it, sit down on a Friday night, maybe get a glass of wine or, you know, maybe a bowl of ice cream. Is that just me, Lexi? Am I the only one that gets a bowl of ice cream in the evening? You should try it. It's really awesome. Anyway. Yeah. So, right. So, uh, you know, sit down on a Friday night, read the guidelines. That's okay. That's why I recommended wine because the first time you read it, it's going to be a little painful. I'm not going to lie. It's not going to be fun. Your face is going to furrow, right? Um, then pick a Saturday, sit down on a Saturday, maybe poolside, maybe at the spa, maybe at the beach, right? Maybe, Maybe at the park, maybe it's somewhere nice that you can just, you know, breathe in some great ambiance, read it a second time. The second time that you read it, you're going to start picking up on certain sections and the light bulb will start going off. You'll think, wow, okay, I'm starting to get this. Now I see what, what Christine was saying. Last, on a Sunday night, okay, before your shows come on, so probably after church, before the, the shows come on, um, you know, sit down and read them a third time. The third time that you read it, that's when you're going to start leaving breadcrumbs in your mind. And that's what you really need. You don't need to memorize the guidelines, but you need to have those breadcrumbs in your mind so that while you're sitting there um, coding something that you get that immediate memory. Oh, wait a minute. I remember that there's something in the guidelines about when an insulin pump is underdosing and how to code that. Today, 30 plus years later, I can't tell you what those codes are, but I can tell you exactly in the guidelines where to go and it will tell you verbatim which codes that you need to report and in the order that you need to report those. Hard work's done for you there. Now. Um, remember a couple of things. Remember that the official guidelines and the official codes are renewed on a fiscal year, not a calendar year. So October 1st, we start using those new codes. And believe it or not, as coders, it's our responsibility, not our employers, not the EMR. It's not their responsibility to make sure that we are up to date on the newest guidelines and we're using the most up-to-date codes, those, those added, revised, deleted codes, right? That we, we are not using the, the old codes. We're using the most fresh codes. Let me tell you a little story. And I, I might have told you this before. And those of you that have been in my classes, um, I'm sure that you've heard this story from me before. However, it's just as true today as it was all those years ago. So at one point back in 2008, um, when I owned a billing company and we were doing billing, that was a different time than it is now. So remember technology, we've, we've come so far, but we've got to remember where we started. And at the time in 2008, the EMR company that I was using, they charged you to upload the new codes. 
Well, in 2008, we were also using ICD-9. And remember, very limited on codes. And those revisions, the deletions, the, the additions, they were few and far between. And I had spent many years where I never had any codes for any of the specialties that I was billing update. So again, um, I probably wasn't as diligent then as that I am now on the guidelines. I did not purchase the upgrade to my EMR to upgrade those codes. And I didn't look to see if any codes that were coming out in that year would be codes that would affect me and the specialties that I was billing. So I just kind of turned a blind eye to it and thought, you know what? I never have any codes. I'm never going to have any more codes. This is ridiculous. Um, so I continued business as usual. So October came and went and I continued to generate claims and send those claims out. And lo and behold, November 1st, I get a very large package in the mail from CMS. Yeah, back then CMS reached out to me, sent me all the claims back and they said, Christine, come on, you know better than this. You submitted 150 claims with an expired code for constipation, 564.0. In 2008, the code for constipation received a fifth digit, another zero, 564.00. Never forget it. Can't use it anymore. Don't know, but it's embedded in my head. It's always going to be there, right? Um, so I had to go into the system. I had to update all of the codes. It ended up costing me in the long run anyway. And sometimes those shortcuts do cost you. Don't forget that. And uh, I updated all the codes. I resubmitted them, but I also had to submit a plan of action to Medicare and tell them that I promise, you know, right hand to heart, right? I promise from now on, I will always every year be up to date on all my ICD-10 codes and I promise that I will always read the guidelines every year. I am a woman of my word. I sit and read my guidelines every year. And, and all it does is solidify those breadcrumbs in my mind and remind me of all those sections that I need to be aware of in the guidelines there. And usually every year I'm fascinated about the changes anyway, because believe it or not, as coders, we've been more empowered over the last few years than in decades. So if you haven't read the guidelines lately, you're missing out, friend. You should really make some time to sit and update yourself on those, at least annually. It's part of what we do. It's part of our certifications. It's part of our career. It's part of our goals, right? So it is our responsibility, regardless if your providers are going to pay for your update, whether they're going to, excuse me for a second, I've got a dog down here that's digging for gold in her blanket. All right, lay down, lay down, you're fine. Good girl. Oh, sorry about that. It was just getting annoying. You know, life goes on, right? Anyway, so that's my story. Every year I read those guidelines. So we are happy to do, let you know that we will be hosting an event on May the 13th, navigating the ICD-10 guidelines, and we are going to be digging into section one. We are really going to be looking at those conventions in subsection, in, in chapter, I don't know what we call it. Yeah, subsection A. We will be looking into subsection B, the general coding guidelines. Remember those guidelines that really belong to every single code in the tabular section there, but we just don't add them. So we don't need a forklift to, to carry books around. 
Um, and then we'll be looking into some of the chapters in section C, especially those um, chapters there that really have a lot of instruction, your, your uh, infectious diseases. We also will be looking at your cardiology. We'll be looking at um, the chapter 19 and chapter 21, your, your Z codes. So we'll be looking into a bunch of those different areas. And I really hope that you join me. And if nothing else, attending a webinar that you get good information, um, that'll give you at least a, a little bit through those guidelines, highlight those things that are super, super important, um, and maybe dissect a little bit of that furniture instruction type of wording that we see in the guidelines there. So I'm hoping that that will be very helpful to you. Uh, we have a couple of other wonderful events that are coming up. Uh, we have our cardiology summit that, that I'll be speaking at. That is uh, OncoSpark. So it's Ozark, um, Ozark Academy. Is it Ozark Academy? Institute. Institute. I was close. Even better. Ozark Institute, which is powered by OncoSpark. Um, Jennifer McNamara, I think I mentioned her in the beginning again, she and her wonderful team of Betty Hovey, Terry Fletcher, Stacy Buck, it's going to be incredible. So you want to make sure you don't miss that. Also, um, we have our good friend, Kimberly Jolivet-Williams from the Jolivet Medical Coding Institute. Um, she is going to be having a CPMA exam review coming up on the 14th. So hopefully any of you that are getting ready to sit for your CPMA and become a wonderful auditor, the world of auditing is so much fun, guys, let me tell you. Um, recently, I was participating in a seminar and we all had to list some of the funniest things that we've seen in a medical record um, during an audit. Believe me, the whole audience was rolling. So there's a lot of fun to be had when it comes to medical auditing. Um, anyway, I think at this point, I would like to take a couple of questions and, and see some of the comments that, oh, look at everybody that's joined us this morning. Oh, how exciting. Um, let's see. A lot of you felt my pain with some of those changes in codings. That's definitely was, was something else. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Jennifer, you said that back in 1990, you were in grade school. I, I have to question our friendship, right? Yes. Um, so young. It makes me feel so old. Oh, I graduated from podiatry school. Dr. Rosenstock. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm feeling my age too. So you're not alone, okay? Um, <laughs> oh. So somebody did say something. Jennifer, you, you mentioned um, ICD-11. Let me chat about that for a second. Um, ICD-11 is out. It is something that the World Health Organization has, has approved and issued and we're using. There are 35 countries that have already converted over to ICD-11. Now, I participated in a webinar through the World Health Organization, and I can honestly tell you that the change from 10 to 11 will be nothing like 9 to 10. Um, 11 has some wonderful modifications, some wonderful changes, but not as abrupt as we saw from 9 to 10. Remember that 9 was all numeric, right? Uh, it was 3 to 5 numerical codes. ICD-10 brought in that alpha component. 
It expanded it from three to seven characters, right? It was a major change, a major overhaul. We introduced laterality with ICD-10. So it was, it was a massive change. ICD-11 won't be that massive. So uh, where I used to say that I don't think I'm going to see ICD-11 in my career, I've been doing a lot of backpedaling. Um, I probably will see it in my career anytime soon. Maybe not. Um, you know, we have to see what Congress is doing. It has to get approved. We have to make sure that our clinical modifications are made to ICD-11. So it's going to take a little bit of work. It's not something we're going to see tomorrow. They're not going to spring it on us, right? Um, but I think maybe, you know, I, I still have a few more years in this in this industry, a few more years till retirement. So I probably will see that. Yeah. All righty then. Let's see. Any more questions, comments? Uh, uh, yes. Betty says that the guidelines now state to query the provider for more things. I love that, Betty. Absolutely. Um, so if nothing else, like I said, we get a lot of direction with the guidelines as coders. We, we really can rely on that information. And like I said, there are some areas in the guidelines where as coders, we get empowered. One of the things that they added in 2022 was the ability to pull some of those non-essential, non-diagnostic diagnosis codes like BMI, right, or laterality. We're able to pull that information from another clinician in the medical record other than the treating provider. Of course, unless there's some conflicting information and then we have to go and query again because, you know, um, the radiologist took images of the right leg, but the, the let's say the podiatrist, ah, I'm going to pick on you today, Dr. Rosenstock. The podiatrist said it was the, le the right foot or the left foot, right? Then we'd have to come back and query. Well, which foot was it? Was it the foot that you were working on or was it the foot the radiologist was looking at, right? So we're able to select that. I love those changes that happen. Now, if there's anything that I mentioned today that you didn't already know about, then it means that you need to sit down with those guidelines and you need to take a look at them. Please feel free to reach out to me if you have any questions about the guidelines, even if it's something like, Christine, can you please interpret this stereo instruction for me or this furniture instruction for me and tell me what do they really mean by this? I'll be happy to do that. Uh, our information is now scrolling around the bottom of the screen there. So you can reach us through any of the social medias, through our wonderful website. By the way, Lexi has given our website an upgrade. So if you haven't been there in a while, go and check out sterlingglobalsolutions.com. All of our uh, events are listed on there. So we hope that you join us. And thank you so much for being here. And buen día, mis amigos. Feliz Cinco de Mayo. Take care. Thanks for watching. 